This holiday, whether you're making a Kroger Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Kroger has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. I am your host, Sebastian High, and I'm joined by the entire panel today. This is Woo-hoo! a special occasion, the first time in season two where we've got everyone because, uh, well, we were supposed to have this in week one, but I may or may not have slept through my alarms while I was taking a nap because uh, I'd pulled an all-nighter the night before, and that was not wise. Anyways, uh, so I will introduce the entire panel. We've We've got Patrick Lorty, my co-host, but I'm leading today, so you are, I guess, a panelist today who is, yeah, panel, yeah. What panelist the hell Patrick are you Lorty. talking about, man? <laughs> I am the co-host, and I will talk as much as I want to. <laughs> fine, 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 fine. And uh, we are joined by the three panelists of the show, uh, Aaron Idovich, Joshua Rosa, and Scott Cowan. Welcome, everybody. Howdy. Howdy. Howdy, howdy. Good day, good day. Good day. And anyway, so this is our special... The most anticlimactic intro ever, guys. Like, at least show a little bit of gusto because, you know... See, I'm we're, so we're, energetic we're, here exactly. with my cold and you guys are like, howdy, You're like, howdy, how do you do? Oh, uh, welcome going? to the show. <laughs> to be fair, at, at least Aaron said something. Uh, <laughs> Guys, seriously, but, we need we need we need a little bit of, of oomph here because I mean, the day that this episode is being released, it's the beginning of the regular season. Wow! As I was about to say, <laughs> this is the special episode of the season starting, and we're all so excited for this season of Habs hockey because they're going to be so competitive. Um, <laughs> and uh, competing for something. Speaking our awkward, of our, our awkwardness is just amazing, right? <laughs> speaking of competitive. Uh, Four rookies are going to start the year with the Habs. No, more than that. Four rookies were told today on recording day, which is Thanksgiving Monday, that they would indeed start the season with the Habs. And that is Caden Gooley, Arbor Jackai, Yuri Slavkovsky, and Jordan Harris. Uh, so I'm just going to leave the floor to you guys. What are your thoughts on those four names in particular starting the season with Montreal? Uh, and how about the names that aren't in like Jesse Alonen or Justin Barron or even Caden Primo. 
Well, before we uh, leave the uh, the this wonderfully talented panel to uh, inject their uh, opinions here, I just wanted to mention because a lot of people are still a little confused about the Arbor Jacques situation. Um, he has been sent down to Laval, but on paper only. Uh, this is a pure cap management uh, situation where uh, the Canadians are still over um, the salary cap. Uh, and also, uh, for those who are not aware, in the preseason, there's actually a limit as to how many, how much you can put on the um, long-term injury reserve. Uh, and, you know, they have $11.1 million that they could put over the cap. They'd have 10 and a half with Kerry Price, um, you know, in the offseason. So, obviously, they had to be cap compliant by 5 p.m. on, well, today, Monday. Uh, so by sending Jacques' contract down, they actually save 828000 and they were able to drop their total cap hit along with Kerry Preston and LTR, of course, to about 92.7, if my math is good and if I remember, uh, they, which leaves them about three hundred k in LTR of relief. And so basically, as of now, uh, they could bring uh, Jacques up uh, to the NHL roster put Byron on long-term injury reserve, which to be honest is where he's going to be headed possibly for the rest of his career. But that's a debate that we can have later on on the show. But yes, yeah, so for those who are not aware, don't worry. Jacques will be part of the opening roster on uh, opening night. And deservedly so, because he had an amazing camp. And I mean, uh, what a story. As somebody who briefly worked in the retail sector, I can't imagine being in the NHL like two years later. So to my Costco man, Arbor Jacki, congratulations. Undrafted in, a, undrafted in junior, undrafted in the NHL. My man, he made it, and it's super exciting. Yeah, one thing I have to say about Jacki as uh, someone who's seen him play in the junior a couple times. It's and as, and as the times. only member of this show who has actually spoken to him face-to-face, by the way. Yeah, super great guy. Um we're gonna actually we're actually gonna play that uh, interview once again a little later in the show, uh, you know, uh, so people can listen to it. But you know, you had a blast talking to him. Like he seemed like a stand up guy, right? Oh yeah, awesome. He was a great guy. Um, took time out to talk to some nobody with a little microphone. It's coming to him before a big game, right after he got signed by Montreal. The one issue with his game that hopefully has been cleaned up is that he does play dirty. Like he's not. I wouldn't call him like an explicitly dirty player but he got suspended multiple times in the ohl and when the play starts to pick up in the nhl maybe some people are leaving him behind either size wise or speed wise and we might see some more penalty and suspension troubles for him but if he's cleaned that part up of his game which maybe he got into fights in the preseason but didn't play outstandingly dirty then he should be a welcome addition on that third pairing Oh, he's no Scott Stevens. At least there's that, right? <laughs> Scott Stevens dirty. Come on. <laughs> but I mean, but I mean, Scott, as you like, you know, as a fan of you know that uh, rock and sock him type of hockey and everything. I mean, yeah, I mean, like I think we we can agree that he's a big tough dude. But at the same time, I think he 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 has the the hockey IQ to be you know a modern day. Kind of like, you know, because in the 90s, especially, you know, like most defensemen were like seven feet tall, 500 pounds and could hit like bricks and everything today. being The game having changed the way it is now, I, th- I think he still he ha- actually has the skill to keep up with those speedy forwards. And, you know, really oh, no, absolutely. Loose, right? I mean, if you're looking for a good, like a better player who kind of 
had uh, sort of discipline issues in junior and then tuned it out in the NHL is Chris Pronger. They're looking for examples of guys who had Hall of Fame careers who originally had issues with their discipline. Pronger was a nightmare in Hartford before he got traded to St. Louis and say what you will about Mike Keenan or whichever coach, I believe it was Mike Keenan had at the time. And Mike Keenan instilled something in Pronger that pushed him to be both a physical player and also a gentlemanly player, not gentlemanly, so to speak, but a player who is less undisciplined as he was early on in his career. And yeah, I absolutely think that Gikaj can be that same kind of player, especially in an environment like Montreal, where he's surrounded by guys who are also going to be developing. And mainly on the back end, most of the guys on the back end this year will be learning alongside him. So yeah, I think it's a very good environment for him to grow in right now. And like Aaron said, you know, the fact that he's never been uh, drafted. I mean, you know, he's got that Marte St. Louis story all over again. So obviously the coach is going to like tap it on the back, being like, go for it, buddy. Go destroy Tim Stutzley on a nightly basis. Have fun. The very distinct possibility of a Lane Hudson, Arbor Jackai pairing in the future is really what's keeping me going right now. <laughs> that, is, that is chaotic. That is Lane, Lane Hudson would not have to worry about going back. <laughs> no, no, he would not. I mean, and, the way... The way the way things are going right now, I mean, Mike Matheson is day to day, so it's not sure if he will be starting um, um, against uh, against the Leafs on when, on Wednesday. Um, I'm guessing, you know, once again, you know, we're, we are recording this on Monday, so this information might be too completely like you know uh, false at this point. But I mean, as of right now, our defensive pairings for opening night would probably look like Jordan Harris with David Saval. Abrajaka with Chris Wyman, Kaden Gooley with Jonathan uh, Kovacevic. I mean, unless you guys disagree with this, um, I mean, is this is this what is this what we're going to war with? Because yeah, that's totally you know a a, a reconstruction defensive pairing and whatnot. But I mean, your thoughts? I mean, is this is is this basically a, a glimpse of the future, especially on the left side? I, I would say so. I mean, I think Caden Gooley uh, showed throughout training camp uh, exactly why uh, he was the best or one of the best WHL defensemen last season. Uh, getting traded to the Edmonton Oil Kings was the absolute best thing that could have happened to his career. Uh, he All the issues in his game that were very apparent in the WHL uh, when he was playing in Prince Albert were completely glossed over in, in Edmonton. Uh, he became far more assertive with the puck in transition. He was activating far more offensively. Uh, he gained confidence with the puck. And that was really the, the big thing that he had to work on. And we talked about this in the last episode with Hadi. Uh, it, it, it made a huge difference. And it was very clear in training camp that he was in a league of his own, even among the young defensemen. And much as I love Jordan Harris's game, and I am and have always been a big proponent of Jordan Harris's game, uh, no young defenseman even came close to to matching Gooley's comfortability, like, how comfortable Gooley was in the pro environment. Uh, it's not about the physicality. It's, a, it's about, uh, well, not, not only the physicality. Of course, it's, it's an aspect of it because he is just a very physical player. But it, it's how he reads uh the play when he's defending his transition defense is incredible. And I'm very curious to see just how well that that is against actual NHL competition, because he was the best transition defender in the entire CHL last season. And it wasn't very close. Uh, he is such a, he looked like in a league of its own. Let's be honest. Yes. Here. No, he for sure. Dominated. He, he, he really did. And I'm very curious to see just how he does this year, because I, I am convinced that he's going, that he's going to play 20 minutes a night with the Habs. Uh, because, well, there's no one else to 
to challenge him, really. Like you, you have okay. Edmondson out. Yeah, you okay, especially with Edmondson out. Even even with Edmondson in, even with Edmondson in, like okay, you're gonna have Matheson munching minutes because he's the best defenseman on this team. But uh, beyond him, you have Savard who's slowing down. You have Edmondson who's still very solid, and you have Gooley. Right, those are going to be the top four that, that you're going to see this season. Whether or not those are the actual four best defensemen on the team, that's more debatable in my view. But that is going to be the, the top four run by Martin St. Louis once Edmondson is healthy. And but even with just, Edmondson, even with Edmondson healthy, Sebastian, like I don't think. I think his times of playing 20 minutes a night are pretty much over. Because, no, I, mean, I just... Uh, I mean, uh, this is a, like a serious back injury that he's been dealing with about a year and a half also, now. Also, it's not the first injury he's had, Pat, as well. He's, he's this is exactly, exactly. So, like, he'll probably be relegated to a 15, 17-minute role a night. You know, I'd be sorry, surprised so. about that this season. I think that, that this season... Because thing is, we know hockey players, right? Hockey players are going oh, to yeah, play as much as they possibly can. Full play, right? yeah, athletes in general are probably full. It, for sure, for sure. I, I would be very surprised. I'd I'd be honestly shocked if Edmondson averaged less than 19 minutes a night this season. Uh, I think next season is where you see that that actually decrease, right? Uh, But that that's that's another debate entirely, right? Oh wait, 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 wait! wait. Before dismissing that too quickly, uh, Sebastian, because I think I think we still need to remember what's at stake for this season, right? I mean, everyone is vying for a shot at Connor Bedard. And yes. if if and, and and since we are in, in reconstruction mode and you want to get as high of a pick as possible because yes, Bedard yeah. is the ultimate price, but and there's a lot. There's a lot of consolation prices. The entire top ten is absurd. The entire exactly. like, honestly, it the entire top, top ten now is the time. Oh, to oh give I know it is. Guys like Gooley and you know even Harris, you know, fifteen, seventeen, I, even oh, especially especially easy. when you're on a hot streak, give it twenty minutes if you have to, you know. Easily, easily. veterans. I, I think I think Gooley is average twenty a night this year, right? I I think that once Edmondson is healthy, you're going to see a second pairing of Gooley and Edmondson. Where and Matheson is going to go like twenty five because you know. Oh yeah, because he's he's actually. <laughs> He's, he's actually a very good player, and uh, I think there's uh, I, I think there's one guy though that could send it to me, sneak some minutes in as well as Chris Weidman, and all of you are going to cover. Oh, for sure, offensive player. But what Weidman can provide for the Canes offensively, especially since he's finally fully in St. Louis system and he's out of Dominic Ducharme's system, I'm going to keep doing yeah. it for the rest of the season. But uh, yeah, concept. I think it could surprise <laughs> a lot of people because the Canadians have offensive players on their back end, but not offensive guys like Weidman, who are what I like to call Marc-Andre Bergeron-type defensemen, where they're pure offense, pure just passing the puck, not the best shot in the world, obviously, but just pure point producers who don't exactly have the same skills on the back end, but the Habs have a bunch of guys who can at least make up for that, guys like the recently fired uh, Jonathan Kovacevic. Yeah, I, 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 I'll just do this right, right now. So I, I watched um, two games of Kovacevic's today. Uh, playing uh, with the Manitoba Moose of the AHL from last season. Uh, and what I saw mainly is a stay-at-home defenseman uh, who is very spatially aware, who protects the slot well, uh, who plays physical and has a very impressive range with his stick because he's very big. Uh, but I did not see a player that I think is going to really contend with Weidman for those third-pairing minutes. I think he's really brought in as a number seven defenseman who's there for relief 
I was and just going to say that from and, what and, I've been reading also, a lot, seventh or eighth defenseman for the time being, right? But really, does sure, he have sure. top six potential, like some claim he does? Because I've, yeah, you know, I've, I mean, like like third third pairing potential is like, like the the gap between seventh defenseman and the sixth defenseman. It's not the biggest thing, right? Like I really like like just like a couple months of targeted development could change that. But at the same time, he's also 25 years old, right? We're not talking about a 22-year-old kid who can yeah. get molded like, a bit more easily. Uh, but Kovacevic, uh, he, he's relatively mobile. Uh, his pivoting ability is awful, like, pain, like painfully bad. A big, uh, big he slow defenseman, caught... unexpected. Yeah, he, he really is a big, slow defenseman. Like, his top speed is an issue. He gets caught flat-footed because of that pivoting ability. Uh, his puck skills are decidedly below average. Uh, he's not going to carry the puck through the neutral zone. His passing, like the biggest concern to me with him, and what I think he needs to work on the very most is his passing accuracy, especially when he's under pressure mm-hmm. or when he's in motion. Uh, he can, he finds good passing options, right? Like he scans the ice well when the, when the play's in front of him. He finds the right passing option. He executes on it and the puck just misses or especially it's too strong and it pops of off as a skate. Right, especially, like especially for that kind of defender, you need to really master that up and over style of clearing the yes. puck passes out. Like you look at guys like Stefan Kane, Tally's played for the Habs; they have mastered that one single play. That's what yeah, kind of, and so on. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And it's and it's why I think that if you play Kovacevic, you have to pair him with a guy like Jordan Harris because Jordan mm-hmm. Harris is tremendous in transition, and mm-hmm. uh, he can play that offensive game. Right. So if you have those two players going together, where Kovacevic can play that net front role, clear the net front. Uh, and look, look, I'm not saying he's a bad player at all. I'm just saying he's limited in what he can do, right? Like, well, he's if, the right fit. He's not He's not, not. the most versatile player. Like, he, you can't just plug – it's not plug and play, right? You have to find the right fit for him for him to really contribute. But at the same time, you're building around this really good defensive awareness, right? He positions himself well, and he keeps a, a tight gap uh, in transition defense, right? Like, he can keep the puck outside the zone. It's more about getting the puck out of the zone once it's inside. That that is the bigger issue with him. I would like to hear from Aaron and Josh on this one as well. Like, and then the, the question is, was it worth sending Justin Barron down to the AHL in Absolutely. order to claim Kovacevic? Because let's remember, let's remember one thing: okay. a fun a fun fact, if you will. In 2020, uh, when the Canadians uh, drafted Caden Gooley, 16th overall, by the, who you know is going to make the opening night roster and will likely spend a year in Montreal unless you know he falls off the wagon somehow, the Colorado Avalanche selected Justin Barron, 25th, in the same year. You know, so we're talking about the same class here, but they get now for some reason during training camp they look like two completely different um, you know bedfellows, right? So I mean, in, which in I saw opinion, coming in the off season. Exactly, and so in your opinion, so yeah, so I heard, I heard Aaron like absolutely. It had nothing to do with Kovacevic. It was entirely to do with Baron. He he needs the AHL time, and even though we aren't going to have the most talented roster in the world for his specific development, what he needs to improve on, that's not a plug and play in the NHL kind of thing. That's a real targeted development in a lower league kind of thing. I wouldn't have claimed Kovacevic. I would have gone. Uh, Same boat with you there, to be honest. I would have waited because I, I have a feeling that we could have just kept Shuneman up for like an extra couple of weeks and gotten somebody better. I'm not not a fan because I only watched highlights for Kovacevic. And hmm. when you're watching highlights, you see the best of a player. And the best of Kovacevic is a pretty good defenseman. There's very good reading. 
He has good vision, good defensive awareness. And that's what you want to see for a six or seven guy. And Justin Barron's ceiling is so much higher. There's no point just throwing him into a six or a seven role. Nothing to see more. Mention really quick as well is that the Habs are no longer sending their prospects to career suicide in Laval anymore. They're finally sending them to a rocket team that actually can oh. and can actually play for a playoff spot and can actually yeah, we actually the Cup. we actually have a, this thing called a player development program. Yeah, I know. We're only like forty years too late, but we finally have a player yeah. development program. The Rocket are no longer losing twelve games in a row to end their season. It's it's nice to finally have a d- development league in Montreal, which is helping players improve. And for me, for a guy like Baron with the uh, issues he's been having, I think Jean Francois Houle is the absolute perfect coach for him to have a chance to develop with. Uh, Josh, I just want to hear your take real quick because I know last season during the couple of games that Barron was on the ice, you were, you know, a pretty big fan. You liked what he was doing and whatnot. So what are your thoughts on him being sent down to uh, the Rocket? And, you know, do you think he's going to be playing top two minutes at, at this point also? I think he deserves the chance because he did do a good job at the end of last year with Montreal, but it also was towards the end of the year where we're playing kind of more garbagey minute type games and um, he's an interesting offensive option I think if he develops correctly down there and I think the more ice time the better and I just see Kusevich seven I can never say his name Kavasevich uh, it's he's just an insurance option like if someone gets hurt or say Jacki doesn't work out burns out has to go down he's just the guy that you can not worry about ruining anything bringing him up playing him games like he's like you said a 25 year old defensive defenseman he kind of is what he is and that's fine and uh for a stock gap to try and give a little bit of comfort and insurance to the younger guys i think that's just fine for him and speaking of big boys with long names yuri slavkovsky was confirmed to stay up uh, with the Habs to start the season. And uh, is this something that has been... You have your opinion on Sebastian. Yeah, <laughs> I have my opinion on that I was not expecting to be as... Uh, Just don't spend the next 20 minutes on this, please. That's no, no, asking. God, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, okay, so, like, I'll, I'll start with, with, with my opinion and I'll leave the floor to you guys because I'm sure there's going to be diverging opinions here because it's a very complex topic. Because it really it's player is. development at its core, right? Yeah. So I, I, I personally would have sent Slavkovsky down to Laval because I think he's a very raw player, and I thought this when he was drafted, and I still think this now uh, that he needs time to develop, and that the Habs, rush, uh, the Habs have rushed so many players to the NHL after drafting them. We've seen it with Kotkaniemi. We've seen it with, uh, I would even say, Alexander Romano. We've seen it with uh, going back to Galchenyuk, right? Like, so many players have been rushed into playing with the Cavs when alternative options likely would have been wiser. And Sikoski, despite being massive and very physically mature, does not have the most mature game itself, right? The way he reads the the game is inconsistent. Uh, while there are some aspects of his game that are very mature and very well refined, like his one-touch game or his play, his, his board game, or uh, I, I'd even 
say that like some like defensive zone plays can look quite nice and and are quite refined his overall game just hasn't hasn't like interconnected into one cohesive package just yet because he needs that time and despite being massive he's not a refined player as of yet and i think that sending him to, to laval would have been for him the best thing also because Yes, even if this is just a nine-game trial or a 20-game trial for Slavkovsky before he gets sent down to Laval, getting sent down after you've played 10 or 20 games with the Habs, that feels a lot more like, like a demotion than if you get sent down. I was just going starts. to offer my uh, reply to that, Sebastian, because I saw your tweet earlier today. I'm not on Twitter very much, but I was, went on very briefly this morning, and I saw what you posted about Slavkovsky, and I was formulating the answer in my head, and I saw what you said about the demotion thing, and I think that is a perfect way to describe also my feelings on the way that Slavkovsky's situation is right now. Because because it's so weird to think about a first overall pick in an NHL draft who is debatable in terms of whether they'll make the NHL or not. We haven't really seen that in quite a long time where there's been a first overall pick who has been in that gray area between is he going to be in the NHL, is he going to be in the NHL. The last one I can think of is Owen Power, and Owen Power chose to stay at the University of Michigan for an extra year. So even going back to guys like Nico Heischer, Nico Heischer was an automatic to start on the Devils roster, and he was also a debated first overall pick. But the thing that I find is interesting about Slavkowski being sent down is just the fact that he is the first overall pick. And yes, we were mentioning how that connotation doesn't matter, but I think for a lot of people, there is that sense with him where he was taken first overall, therefore he should start in the NHL, right? So I feel like for him mentally, that's going to be tough if he does get sent down immediately. But for what you said about his emotion, I think that would be even tougher for him. If he plays seven games in Montreal, it doesn't work out, then he gets sent down. That could be even worse for his confidence. So I'm on the fence, but ultimately I do think that seven games in a demotion is ultimately worse than just an immediate demotion. Yeah, my biggest problem with Slavkovsky's game throughout the preseason is just his decision-making and reaction time, particularly when he has the puck. He just doesn't make the right decision and takes too long to come up with it. The biggest one that I could take out just like immediately was the Ottawa game right after the Toronto game where takes the puck in just over the blue line and just kind of stands there and lets Artem Zub run him over. And he kind of gets stuck there and it's like, you just have to make a decision. But the good thing is that that just comes with experience and time and getting comfortable with the North American game, which he definitely would do better in getting higher minutes against easier opponents in the AHL. And I just don't see where the benefit of keeping him in the NHL is. I don't think he's going to gain much from being like he's going to play in the NHL, but that's kind of where I think the positives end for him. I don't think it's going to make him a better player in the long run just to play these nine games. I think it's just send him down, let him play the whole season, just get his that season under his belt, and then we can talk about next season more yeah, exactly. And it's not, not like the Habs are lacking quality at forward or on the wing. It's not, not like our defensive situation, right? Like, it's not about like, oh, he's getting beat out by, for a roster spot by, I don't know, uh, a guy like uh, Nate Schnarr or something, right? Like, we're, we're talking about like established NHL veterans here, right? And uh, on top of that, sending him to Laval is putting him into an environment that is undoubtedly a winning environment. Montreal is the exact opposite of that. And uh, completely disagree. 
And I'm going to really? completely disagree with that statement. And the only reasons why I say that is because I'm actually one of the few people who says that he has to stay in the NHL for the time being only because, um, and, and actually Josh is the one who, who said it perfectly. He's coming to North America. He's trying to understand North American hockey. And we've seen, seen it more than once. When he stepped out on the ice, he went, holy shit, this is fast. This is the NHL. Whoa, this is a completely different game. You know, and you saw sometimes. But then again, his talent is so pure that there were, there were, there were certain um, plays where you're like, he, he does look like a first overall pick, right? And where I'm going with that is that by staying in Montreal, He's going to get to live opening night in Montreal. He's going to see that torch coming out. He's going to see the banners on, on, the, on the rafters and everything, the crowd going wild. He's going to live the, that, that, that moment of being an NHL player for a couple of weeks, maybe months. And then Marty St. Louis, Ken Hughes, Jeff Gordon, they're going to go up to him. He's like, all right, buddy, we're going to send you to the AHL, but this is not because you're a bad player. Now think about what you just experienced. Think about you know, the fans cheering your name when you scored that goal or when you made that play and everything. Harness that energy, go kick some ass in Laval, and then we'll bring you back up and you're, and you're going to be ready. I think that's part of the developments that the Canadians are trying to instill because it's, it's, it's the, the culture in Montreal was so toxic in the last few years, even dis, despite that Cinderella Cup run. The last few years, Patrick, you can go back to the past 30, 40. Uh, fine, let's go back to 95 if you L- want. No, like a, Doug Wickenheiser, you know? like a Doug Wickenheiser if you want to follow old first overall picks. Uh, yeah, exactly. especially with the development of, of, of <laughs> you know, first round picks in general and whatnot. So I think that's going to be the key for him is really to absorb everything, not just on the ice, but off the ice in the crowd. And just, and you know, you know, like how we always tell rookies, especially like, just like shut, like shut the noise off, you know, don't listen to all the noise in his case is no, listen to the noise, listen to what people are saying and listen to the excitement that this, that the city has for a team that we all know is, is probably going to finish dead last all over again. You know, and then going Laval with a team that actually has a chance of winning it all again this year and, you know, come back as a, as a better player. I, th- I think that's what they're trying to do with him. Well, I feel like that kind of goes back to what Nick Bobrov said about uh, his, his character, where he had the entire country of Slovakia on his back since he was like 15 years old. He can handle Montreal. Exactly. So for me, from a fan's point of view, I would want him in Montreal. From a scout's point of view, I want him in Laval. From a kind of both point of view, I feel like management has made their plan with him clear to him already. Because I feel like that's just the the right. So I I would bet that he's going to spend 10 games up here and then he'll be sent down. I think that was already planned out. And if he outperforms, then he can stay on the roster. But I, I agree with you, Pat. I think it's good for him to be the star for a little bit. Well, because, I mean, if you look at it from from another point of view, and especially in, in terms of, you know, training camp competition, and Sebastian, you can retort to this because I've seen you scratching your face every, every, every time I've been mentioning about Tomkowski. I mean, you got guys like Dadunov, for example, who's done squat, you know, who seems completely out of place, you know, and even though he's been – at this point, relegated to like fourth line duties, and it's going to be him or Duane that's going to be probably sitting out the first game of the year, you know. But again, 
you know, we were talking about this off the air. Like, I think the Tuhue um, is going to be sitting out the first game. And, you know, like everyone has basically been playing better than Slavkovsky. But again, I think it's just, you know, getting used to the environment and also getting minutes as well. Because, I mean, I mean, like, you know, like you'll probably end up playing with what? Maybe a line with Dvorak and Gallagher on opening night. You know, you'll probably, you know, he'll probably, probably get or maybe even Doc, you know, so like he'll get it, he'll get his chances and you don't know what could happen. Maybe next thing you know, he'll put it, he'll put his big pants, uh, big boy pants on and he's going to start, you know, going off and then we won't have a choice but to keep him, you know? Yeah. You never know. You, yeah. Oh, you're sounding like Mark Bergevin now. Oh, I don't like No, 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 no. You no, never no. know. We are very proud to select a Kaden Gouli, okay? <laughs> On s'est very proud de Logan selecter. Logan Mayu. Logan Mayu. Logan Mayu. <laughs> but, oh, I no, I, 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 um, I would, first of all, disagree that guys like Dadanoff and Droy have looked bad. Um, look, it's preseason. <laughs> These are established NHL veterans, right? Like, like, they're not going to put in the same amount of effort as guys like Caden Gooley or, or Yuri Sapkowski because they don't, they didn't need to, right? But Droy has so much more to prove. And I feel like in Droy's situation, I would put more effort in in the preseason, though that's just my own opinion, with everything else going into the season. It's also an injury management, right? Like, like the mm-hmm. more effort you put in, the more you risk injuries. And Drouin has had a lot of injuries. And uh, anyways, like, I, I think that, that Donov has looked totally fine. Like, no, he hasn't blown the doors off, but he's played a relatively calculated game, uh, relatively subtle, but calculated. Yes, there was that one Ottawa game where he got all the bad bounces, but it wasn't an awful performance. He's not like like skating out there in slow motion or anything. I thought his line with Dvorak and Gallagher looked really good. They were controlling play very, very well against an opposing top line. With I'm pretty sure it was Bathurst and Kachuk and uh, Norris or Stuslo uh, that they played against there, and they looked good. They were limiting chances. Chances. It looked kind of like a discount version of the Tatar to no Gallagher line of the same mentality, right? Of limiting chances of just tilting the ice in your favor against talented individuals. And I just did think that, that Donov fit into that system very nicely. Did he lead it? No, but neither did Tatar, right? Like he didn't need to. And it's true though. I, yeah. I, we, don't, we, I, don't, we don't need that enough to lead the team. No, we don't exactly. need him to score 50 goals either. So No, no, but, but at the same time, yeah. Tatar never led that line. Tatar did lead that line in points, though, with 61 and 68 games. I yeah, think but he was never the standout so player, crazy. right? No, yeah. exa- exactly. But what I'm saying yeah. here is that even if you play that enough on that third line, yeah, I, I see you what you easily mean, put yeah. up, like, like, I don't know, by the trade deadline, put up 15 goals, 20 assists. And then you flip them for a high second round draft pick. That's or, the thing. Or, That's or the value, thing, right? right? That's the right? thing, right? Like, we're we're going to get a lot no of those. Point, there's sorry. no point in scratching yeah. him because he's bringing value, in my, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. I, I didn't think he played poorly. I think that he deserves to be in an NHL lineup. Also, look at last season. After Vegas uh, tried to trade him away and couldn't, and he came back to Vegas, he was the only player on Vegas scoring goals when they were in a yeah. run for a playoff okay. spot, right? So exactly. I'm playing for a team that wants him. He was very, very... Yeah, I was, was going to say quack, quack. <laughs> when, he, when he really shouldn't have been. Oh, God. Like, he, had, he had no reason to play well for that team because they abandoned him. But he still came yeah. to play. So I, I would hold off before discounting Dadanoff as a player due to a couple preseason games where he played, I don't know, slowly or got some bad bounces. I mean, absolutely. So... They were, I, they were like, maxed only going yeah. into his season. They were like, oh, it was exactly. in the preseason, then 72 points, boom. Exactly. So I, I would hold off on Dadanoff 
Cool. I, I really do think that the line of Dadanov, uh, Dvorak, and Gallagher is a perfect matchup line because it allows the Habs to put like high-skilled young players into good offensive positions against lower-skilled opponents. So yeah, you even have Kirby it... Doc play with, I don't know, Cole Caulfield against an opposing third line, which is ideal to produce, right? Yeah, or, why not? Not necessarily Cole Caulfield, but just Kirby Doc in general. Right, like, like and even if Dad, and even if Dad like, ends up on a line with you know Jake Evans and Rem Pitlick, for example, it's solid. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who cares? It I doesn't matter. The house got him for negative value this year. Well, okay. Well, tell you what, uh, we made a Mark Bergevin joke earlier, and we're going to talk a little bit. Yes, ben oui, on a selecté Mark Bergevin. We uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're, gonna talk, we're going to we're going to talk about. Um, a revelation that Pierre Lebrun made um, earlier this week about a the Kokinemi fiasco, and I added my little two cents on that, and we'll expand on that. But before we go into the past, we're going to go into the way past, and that's if Mr. Rosa is ready for his On This Day in Habs History segment. Do you even have to ask? Oh, oh, I can feel the disappointment in your mustache, man. All right, man, whenever you're ready, sir, take it away. <laughs> NHL instituted the minor and major penalty shot ruling. Minor shots would be taken within a circle 38 feet away from the net, and a major penalty shot was the more traditional penalty shot that we see today. To this day, there have been just 13 penalty shots in the Stanley Cup final, with only one being scored, that being Chris Pronger scoring on Cam Ward after illegal closing of the hand on the puck in the crease. Interestingly enough, if you go to records.nhl.com, the first four penalty shots in the Stanley Cup final were all taken at exactly two minutes into whichever period was being played. That isn't strange enough. Let me introduce you to the first game, the 1923 Stanley Cup final on March 29th between the Edmonton Eskimos and the Ottawa Senators. The game began with a penalty shot taken by Ottawa's side Denany, which was stopped exactly two minutes into the game. And then, two minutes into the second period, Edmonton's Duke Keats missed the penalty shot. And, to complete the trifecta, Ottawa's punch broadbent was awarded a penalty shot exactly two minutes into the third, which was also stopped. But these statistics are from the 1920s, so maybe take them with a grain of salt. But firmly outside of the realms of history and into future history, the Montreal Canadiens will open the 2022-23 season on Wednesday, October 12th against the Toronto Maple Leafs. But did you know that the Montreal Canadiens have the most wins on opening night in NHL history with 53? That's a full 11 games over the Detroit Red Wings in second place with 42. On the other end of the spectrum, no team has as men- has lost as many games as the Toronto Maple Leafs on the opening night of the season with 43 losses. The Montreal Canadiens hold a couple of notable opening night streaks as well. 
the Canadians didn't lose an opening night game between the years of 1953 and 1961. This nine-game winning streak is tied with the longest in league history with the St. Louis Blues of 1978 to 1986. But Les Canadiens solely hold the record for the longest point streak in opening night history, registering a point in every opening night game from 1963 to 1979. So hey, maybe there's some hope against Toronto Wednesday. Yeah, so just tell me, uh, how's it going? It's going good. About me, so yeah, it's hard to be feeling bad when you just got a contract. Yeah, there's, there's no, there's no feeling bad about that. Yeah. So this year in the OHL, it's obviously the weirdest year. There's basically two rookie groups coming in. You're one of the older guys. You've been to the NHL camp. Are you looking to take on like a leadership role in the room there for some of the younger guys? Yeah, I definitely put that upon myself to. A, become a leader in the room and I think a lot of guys respect me in that way and even before like the contract like I just had I just had that respect from the young guys and like I'm definitely going to take that take a big role in the, in the leadership group this year. Yeah so obviously you were undrafted in the OHL I am undrafted in the NHL gets the feeling that you're always trying to improve yourself is there aspects of the game that you're trying to work on this year to get better and better? Yeah definitely like playing in those two NHL games it was. It's definitely an, a, an awakening to see how much attention to detail like you need to have there. Like I'm obviously a bigger guy and can handle myself in that aspect, but it's just it's just building my the attention to detail side of the game and knowing where guys are and always like reading what, what hand they shoot and which way they're coming down and all, all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. How good does it feel to be back playing? meaningful regular season hockey after so long yeah we were all sitting in the room and we were like this game like it's it's worth two points like it's crazy like it's been so long and we're just all excited and it means a lot well i'll let you get ready for everything thank you so much for talking yeah, thank you thanks a lot man all right thank you josh as always uh the ha- the state of Habs history is everyone's favorite segment basically of the show especially uh, when the Habs come first and the Leafs come in last I mean I, I yeah think, exactly I mean you know uh, like I, I, all, all of last season Josh has been saying that Jake Evans is a man after his heart no I'm sorry but yeah. Josh is after my own heart with those kinds of segments so that's, that's amazing brother <laughs> got romance on the puck and roll podcast it's facial hair romance <laughs> uh, it really is <laughs> guys let's talk about something um, well, you know, a little bit of history, as what we mentioned, we're going to talk about Marc Bergevin. Um, a couple of days ago, uh, Pierre Lebrun had an appearance at RDS and made an interesting um, hot take saying that during the whole Koch and Yemi fiasco, Bergevin straight up offered KK's services to, to the Carolina Hurricanes in return for Seth Jarvis. Trade ended up falling through um, for whatever reason. And then they... Um, you know, and then Carol ended up signing him to um, an RFA uh, sheet instead. Now, 
obviously, you know, having Seth Jarvis might have changed, you know, the whole complexity of the team, you know, as a whole other thing on, on many levels. But I think, you know, what was interesting is that while he was talking about this, well, after he spoke about this, I did do my research, um, wanted to check the validity of, of it. Not that I questioned Pierre Lebrun's uh, sources by any means, uh, but I was just curious, you know, so I went through a few of my sources, you know, scouts, management, etc. But a couple of scouts especially mentioned that, yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it seems to be the case. But by the way, did you know that um, the team actually wanted to draft Brady Kachuk the year that we drafted Kok and Yemi? I was like, really? So one of them specifically should have said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like we were all on board, you know? Okay, I say we all, but like the majority of the team was like, no, we were recommending Kachuk. Yes, he's, he's a head case, but man, the guy can play. This guy could carry the team on his shoulders. Anyways, he, he was given a five-star rating, right? And uh, it was Trevor Timmons who, you know, was like, no, we need a center. We need Kokanyemi. And Marc Bergevin at the time was kind of flip-flopping between both because, you know, so he agreed that, yes, we need a centerman. But at the same time, a guy like Brady Kachuk, Kachuk is right up his alley as a type of, you know, character player that he kept talking about during his tenure, tenure in Montreal. So, um, but Trevor Timmons ended up, you know, pretty much having carte blanche when it comes to picking first-round picks, especially, goes on to pick Kokanyemi and, you know, the rest is history. Now, I just want to um, specify a few things first. I know there's a lot of people that think that, oh, you're just changing the narrative because Brady Kachuk is a good player today and pretty much the more successful player out of that draft. And that's not the case at all, you know, because at the time, you have to remember that, yes, you know, Kachuk was high, you know, was rated really high. And Kakanimi was still really, really high despite missing most of the of the prior season to the knee injuries and whatnot, if I remember correctly. And everyone was going crazy over Philip Zadina, right? The fans and the media were all about Zadina. He was the guy that much was going to pick. There was the Zadina lady also who was on TV, you yeah. know, who, who, by the way, was fostering Zadina while he was playing in the QMJHL. And, um, and essentially what happened was that Zadina wasn't ranked that high you know, in terms of the actual scouting profiles in like, you know, I was, I was speaking to a few of them and one of them specifically said that not a big fan has skills, doesn't have the drive. Another one was saying has a lot of skills questioning his commitment. So, you know, like they knew that there was a good player in Zadina, but they did actually, most of them said, said if he's available in the second round, we'll probably do give a flyer on him. But that was it, you know. There was never, there was never a chance that Zanino was going to land in Montreal, regardless. But the bottom line is, what happened was that you know Trevor Timmons decided he was going with depth. You know, he said that we need a centerman. I'm getting that centerman. Everyone said Kachuk, and they're like, ah, we can get other wingers. And besides, we have Max Pacioretty. Well, yeah, that we aged, Max that aged yeah. poorly uh, with time, you know. But you know, I suppose. Actually, it's not true. It didn't age poorly because we ended up getting Nick Suzuki. So, so yeah, like, who, who would have, absolutely nothing. Who would have thought, right? And today, Max Pacioretty, part of the Carolina Hurricanes, but also on the long-term injury reserve as well. So, Vegas got seven point five million dollars in cap space. There you go. So, I mean, yeah, uh, I was really, uh, I wasn't shocked when I found out that kind of information. You know, hmm. just like you know, I wasn't shocked when you know that. 
some of those same people were telling me just earlier, it's like, yeah, Dwayne might not play on the first game. I was like, yeah, whatever. Um, Zadina's hype was also like, but the hype for Zadina—it's a lot really higher than what it ended up being in the end. It was overhyped, absolutely, but it was a lot higher than what it ended up being in the end. No words, Zadina. He, he's questionable if he's actually going to stay with the Red Wings going forward, and if they might just call him a failed project and release him into the wild. Exactly, but at the same time, like you have to, you have to realize that although, um, you know, Kachuk did get drafted fourth overall, like right under Montreal, um, you know. Buffalo still went still went with Rasmus Dahlin. Sveshnikov went second overall, which was not, you know, a surprise at all because everyone knew that Sveshnikov was going to be, you know, a premier sniper. But then again, um, Kachuk actually, is actually <laughs> beating Sveshnikov's goals by one. He has like 90 career goals, Sveshnikov's 89. But again, his father, Keith, you know, did develop quite the reputation, especially when he was playing for the St. Louis Blues and whatnot, being like, yeah, he's quite the character. He's great. It was an amazing power forward for his time. But man, that was a head case to, to manage, you know? And oh, yeah. it's, you know, and we've seen Matt and we've seen, you know, uh, Brady's antics when he went to uh, cheer for his brother during the, the Calgary's playoff run, you know, Matt getting traded, ends up getting traded to Florida and everyone's wondering why. Well, I think we're trying to find, see, finding out why, because there's, you know, again, attitude issues and whatnot. So maybe that's why, you know, that uh, Timmons was like, you know what, like uh, he's, he's scaring me too much. But at the same time, I mean, do we care so much about a person's attitude, especially in this day and age where, you know, the, the, the NHL is so diluted because we're, we're up to 32 teams. I would still you know, honestly put a lot of care into a player's attitude, but that's just my own opinion. I mean, I think there's definitely examples in the NHL where teams will. I'm going to go back to Galchenyuk again because I feel like every single time Galchenyuk has <laughs> an opportunity, something gets in like the. Whenever every team has get, that's given a Galchenyuk a fresh chance or a fresh opportunity, something comes along where they go, okay, you weren't worth this fresh opportunity, off you go. I'm not sure what it is ultimately, but I feel like a lot of it has to do with the fact that Galchenyuk isn't really willing to work or listen to his coaches a lot of the times, and especially in Montreal, he kind of with that quite a bit. Yeah, and and at the same time, like we also t- have to take into consideration that you know hindsight is 2020 as well, because if you look at the rest of the the draft itself, Zadina ended up going six, and he still hasn't really cracked anything in the NHL so far. But then you got Quinn Hughes. Who dropped? It, who was at seven? Who probably would have been taken first overall if we had to do a redraft. Um, same thing with Keandre uh, Miller. Sorry, with, of the Rangers who was drafted twenty second. Um, I'll say it's funny we haven't we haven't seen a player like Brady Kachuk who has both those issues with attitude yet also that high skill. And when I talk about high skill, I don't mean like a Pat Verbeek or like a just like a Claude Lemire type. I mean like a one hundred to one hundred twenty point guy who has those kind of same issues with their discipline. So it's kind of rare that you see like a mix of player like that, especially in today's modern NHL, I find. Well, yeah, well, in, ter- in terms of successful players, yes, because yeah, we, we've had our share of, of players with attitude that have um, boatloads of talent, but never harnessed that talent properly. Again, you mentioned Galchenik was one of them. We mentioned Max Domi, that was another one of them. Um, I, was a, I was having a discussion with a gentleman about Alexander Digg last, uh, last week. So again, yeah, if you're bringing going way, way, way back when. Yeah, but again, Alexander Dake was was a oh man that that, that, that could be an entire episode on its own. <laughs> yeah. You know, like he was just at the wrong place at the wrong time because you know, he was picked by you know an expansion team and they immediately tagged him as the franchise player at 18 <laughs> years old, being all right, buddy, here leave this franchise team to the Holy Grail. Uh, okay, sure, maybe. Oh, by the way, you have no support. <laughs> you know, so if he was drafted by let's say Pittsburgh, for example. 
you know, and he's playing. There like, was no support pad. It's just he didn't have. Can't even say the word support. So putting the word support into that discussion is <laughs> an insult to how bad those Senators teams were. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the guy, the guy has like so much talent and everything. But when you have when you have Dave McQuillan as your first line lineman, you're not really going to be able to get a whole lot done. <laughs> and who remember, who can who could often get Peter Snorkiewicz at his four point <laughs> something goals against average? You know, they're, they're very first representatives. Exactly. Oh my goodness, good fun times. I think when we're talking to about Brady Kachuk, if we bring it back to drafting Brady Kachuk in Montreal, you have to remember what the Montreal Canadiens system was looking like at the time. We're coming off the one of the most um, dysfunctional teams on the ice that are off the ice with. Pacioretty being captain, butting heads with Subban and Price and Michelle Therrien yep. coming in. Like, yep. If you're looking at it, you could see a Brady Kachuk being fueled to the fire and just creating an absolute meltdown. So I could definitely see why it would scare people, uh, Trevor Timmons to draft him. I know, but I can't help but think I'm seeing a line yeah. with Brady Kachuk on the left and Cole Caulfield on the right side. Good Lord. Well, hindsight is just 2020. <laughs> I think the bigger yeah. problem was just how they dealt with Kock and Yemi. Like, if they developed them right, it, yeah. who knows what could have happened. That's that's my bigger what if than if I don't think I don't think Carolina would him. be betting on them as much as they are, especially if the Montreal had developed them right. Because that contract of Kucking Yemi looks awful now. At least that's my opinion. I think it looks awful now. But the Hurricanes are hoping that he'll turn into a twenty twenty five goal scorer, and they can, in my mind, I think they're going to try and flip that contract later on down the line when he starts producing more. But again, going back to what you said, Josh, if Montreal had actually developed him right, hadn't started off so hot and thought that he was invincible, and didn't realize when he struggled, he. Try kind of tried to tap out when the game got too tough. Who knows where we'd be now? Maybe we still have cooking in our team. Yeah, and Sebastian, uh, I think you're 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 gonna 100 agree on this again. We made the joke earlier about we have a player development program. Yeah. You know, again, we something we indeed. didn't have in the past. Something we did not have in the past, and has cost. Let's be honest; it might have cost careers of certain players. You know, certainly has 100. Yeah. Well, it's a miracle yeah. that guys like Jake Evans even survived the Lola system and came out to be productive players. And it just goes to show the work ethic those kind of guys have to fight through all that crap they had to deal with in Laval for the first couple of years. And speaking of Laval, let's transition this straight into the final segment of the episode. Oh, nice segment. Nice, nice little switch there. Uh, good so job. good job. Uh, I know. I'm so. A for in the back right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Five stars. Um, we'll start. <laughs> we ruined it all with We're this, but, uh, but... Give good service, five stars. <laughs> we'll order again. <laughs> but anyways, th- there's quite a bit of news with the Laval Rocket and even with the Trois-Rivières-Lyon. Uh, and Scott, you know what? I'm just going to hand the floor over to you because AHL and ECHL is to- completely your, do- your domain here. So... Hey, this What's should be this, this should world? be a segment, man. You know what? Like Scott is gonna have be. his own little segment. He is the host of the segment, leading the show. So how about uh, let's do this? You know, start with some AHL news, and you know what, man? I would love to hear your thoughts first off. Alex Bezil, captain of the Laval Rocket. That's pretty awesome news. Incredible news, to be honest, Pat. And if there's any player in the Rockets lineup over the past seasons who deserves that captaincy, it's Alex Bezil. And if you're thinking of a player who 
absolutely encompasses everything that Canadians have strived for with their minor league team over the past few seasons, again, it's Alex Belzil. And if you're looking for a guy who's a great story and is a great, uh, is a good player for all those young guys in the ball to look up to, again, it's Alex Belzil. When I think back to his career path and how he got here with Montreal and where he is now as the captain of the Rocket, it's still kind of unbelievable to think that Belzil is where he is considering all the uh, hardships he's had to endure over the course of his career from being undrafted in the NHL, being a, you know, to bring back an old point I made, Alex Belzil didn't make his debut in the QMJHL until he was 18 years old, where most players will be making their debut when they're around 16, 17. So he was a very late bloomer at almost every single level he's played at. And then kind of just stumbled into a good situation in Laval with a team who had not really a whole lot to prove. And Montreal fans have embraced him. The management team has embraced him. Now that Xavier Ouellette is off to Pittsburgh, where I think he'll serve a really nice role over there in Wilkesbury Scratchin. Alex Belzil stepped into the captaincy. And I feel like with the way the Rocket are going to be going forward with their roster and with the fact that they're finally a competitive team, I feel like having a guy like Belzil, who does so much for that team on both ends of the ice, defensively and offensively, I think he's just an absolutely perfect choice for the captain. And the other thing to discuss related to the Rocket being successful and more specifically the team below them, and the thing I wanted to bring up really quickly here is that the Toronto-Louvier-Lyon at long last have their superstar player. I know a lot of whole, not a whole lot of people are going to be caring too much about the ECHL's Queen year, especially with everything going on with Montreal's youth movement, but the Lyon are still a part of Montreal's system, and they had a really successful first season, to be honest. They took the defending Kelly Cup champs to Game 7 in the first round, just barely lost. They had a fun, uh, fun offensive-filled team. The city really embraced them. And now at long- the arena was sold out almost on a nightly basis, almost on Jeez. a daily basis. The, well, Tornavir is a city that's been really needing a team for a long time. And that city is yeah. a beautiful place. And all they really had was LNH teams beforehand. So along with they finally have their star player and he's a former Concordia alumni uh, to add on top of that, Anthony Beauregard. Now, Beauregard is a player that I've been following for a couple of years now because he was signed by the Laval Rocket to a PTO in their dreadful 2017-18 season when they were just looking for anybody to fill a roster spot. He ended up winning the U Sports MVP that year for Concordia with 60 points in 28 games and then played that into an ECHL deal, spent a couple of years overseas. And just two years ago in 2021, he won ECHL MVP with the Wichita Thunder, putting up 71 points in 62 games. So going back to the Lyon last season, the only real big offensive player they had who was signed to be a big offensive player was Olivier Archambault. And I was really excited to see Archambault come to Laval, to come to Tour because I had been aware of his performance in the AHL in the past, but he just didn't really have a great season. He was a healthy scratch towards the end of the year and especially going to the playoffs. So now with Beauregard, the uh, Leon have a mix of a guy who's both young, is entering the prime of his career. I would imagine will want to stay in Tolivier due to play for that team, especially being a hometown kid, especially being a guy from Concordia. And they have a guy who night in and night out is going to put fans in the seats and be an offensive dynamo. So I'm really, really excited to see what he can do for the team. I think at the same time, if, uh, if you don't want me to interject real quick, the fact that he tasted a few games as part of the Laval Rocket coming out of uh, of Concordia, you know, and then the path that he was on in order to come back to Quebec for that matter. Now he may, maybe because at the same maybe it'll it'll motivate him even more because at the same time, and this is a guy who's still only twenty six years old, you know, and he's had an, a moderately successful career in the in the uh, KMJHL, even though he didn't, you know, he, he went undrafted and whatnot. So maybe he's going to look at this as an opportunity, being like, hey, like I. I could take this and really put it into high gear. And if he becomes that star, like, like, like you mentioned, then, you know, maybe the AHL is going to be another step up and who knows, maybe he'll become another feel good story. And the Canadians might even give him a shot at training camp one day. So, 
Well, the Laval definitely, the Rocket definitely did make use of the Lyon's players last year. And it was nice to see some of the guys who were on ECHL deals perform really well, guys like uh, Sean Saint-Amand or uh, Alex Breton. They played pretty well yeah. in call up. So the relationship the Rocket are going to have with the Lyon going forward is just going to be a super healthy one because the Rocket already have so many guys signed to AHL contracts. But the atmosphere they're building in that room is really an atmosphere of success and not really so much entirely focused on the Canadians as an organization. The Rocket want to be competitive, even if the Habs get rid of all their players. And that's what happened a lot last year. When Montreal dealt with that COVID crisis and all the injuries. They called up so many guys and the Rocket kept winning because they had so many guys signed to AHL deals who could fill the roster and compete night after night. Opening up the floor to everyone, if you don't mind, uh, Scott, since we're, we're talking about the Rocket, who do you guys think will be the the standout player this season for Laval? Because, I mean, we got we got some very interesting names uh, at training camp right now. Of course, we're talking about guys like you know, Philip Massar, Yad Mizak, uh, well, Alex, because you never know what he can do. Then, you know, Xavier Simono, um, Miguel Tourigny is always going to try to make a space. Same thing with Trudeau. Mathias Norlander is going to try to get some big minutes. Um, you know, we talked about Justin Barron earlier. I mean, I believe Tulini got sent down today. Uh, did he get sent down today? Oh, yeah. Cool. But so, uh, so I think <laughs> the dynamic duo of uh, Mishar and Mishak is going to be... Mishar and Mishak. <laughs> I'm so excited to see them in Laval. I don't want the Rockets. <laughs> I want Mishar. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I'm a very, very big fan of Mishar's. And to a lesser extent, but still a big fan of Mishak. Mm. And I think that given the situation of winning culture in, in Laval and the team that's going to be around them, they're going to have such a strong D. They're going to have pretty decent goaltending in Caden Primo because he's proven to be good at the AHL level. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and uh, is it Poulain still? Uh, well, actually, go ahead and lean on from that, Aaron. Yes, it is Poulain. And I feel like if there's one guy who will be able to compete with Primo, and give him uh, some sort of competition for the starting job. It is Kevin Poulain because last year he did just that. To be honest, I was expecting Poulain to play in 12 of the air last year and I was expecting him to be the starter there. And he ended up being one of the best stories in the AHL and one of the league's best goaltenders. So there, there's a real team there. And I think especially Mishar is going to really shine there if he stays. And not to not to mention that you know anybody who's uh, who's seen a game in Laval knows they're in for a good show. I mean, you know, last Absolutely. year has proven that they... they they, they they have well they have a fantastic nucleus of, of players, but Scott mentioned it perfectly um, a little earlier in the show when, when he was mentioning Jean-François is just perfect, you know, as as the head coach of Laval, and we've seen it time and time again. And as someone who has seen a, a few games at Place Belle, it is such a cool place, you know. It's the atmosphere is amazing, um, and it's really fun hockey for dirt cheap, by the way. And, and it's not like he had uh, small shoes to fill. Joe Bouchard did amazing work in his first. Yeah, great. Yeah, I mean, Jake Evans owes most of his time in Montreal to Joel Bouchard, the fact that he's with the Canadians to begin with. And it's a shame that Bouchard is now unemployed and that was fired by the San Diego girls. But yeah. And uh, since we're talking about rookies uh, real quick, and I know uh, oh, look, Sebastian just perked up. I said the word rookie. He was like, mm-hmm. you know, like a little puppy with his ears. Just went, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we didn't mention um, uh, um, his name, but uh, he's worth he's worth at least a minute of a mention. Owen Beck. Had a oh, great, man. great training crab. We and we we definitely covered Owen Beck in last week's episode in depth because of I know, but I mean now now I know I think it's time to like you know really give him another like you know uh, top of the back yeah. and you know 
and I know, I know, so I know that um, Josh is probably looking at the corner of his eye because you know Mississauga is not that far from Guelph-ish, um, <laughs> you know. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping you'll be able to like at least catch a couple of games with him involved and whatnot. But I mean, um, I'm okay with him being sent down, you know, despite what people are saying. Oh, it, it was but, it was like, the right choice for sure. But, but I did. This I is think guy that uh, Beck has potential to be an unbelievably talented player in Laval. Good lord! Years. I, mean, I mean, like. We're talking the levels of, from? of of Jason Spezza, <laughs> of Jason Spezza and I mean, him when he was playing for the Binghamton Senators in the mid two thousands. Spezza was dominant in the age over the past few years, and I think Beck, while not the similar point numbers, he could uh, achieve that level of play on the ice. Yeah, yeah he, he he's very very refined. Like his game is tremendous. And I'm a big fan of it. Uh, what I do find interesting though is um, in the the lineup post for the first game where when he was back in Mississauga. The actual graphic had him on the first line, uh, but it was not the first line. It was very clearly not the first line. Del Bell Belouz had the actual wingers in Zachary Lavoie and J- and James Hardy, uh, whereas uh, Owen Beck had uh, a winger who had, I believe, six points last season. So no, not the first line. Uh, but it was good uh, social media ma- management of like, you have to have Beck on the first line, otherwise the entirety of Habs Twitter is going to implode. Uh, on Mississauga, so that made sense to me. But uh, no, I mean, like, 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 yeah, Owen Beck is an awesome player, and uh, he was a great draft pick. I liked him a lot as well. I think I had him ranked around twenty-three overall. I had him one spot behind Marco Casper. Uh, similar players in terms of uh, ceilings, in my opinion, of their middle six centermen that are just going to be working their asses off the entire shift and uh, really winning over the fan base. But uh, yeah, Owen Beck is awesome. And his training camp was surprising, even to the people that were massive fans of his game as scouts. Uh, And there were a lot of people that loved his game as scouts. Uh, Just look at like the entirety of like elite prospects and their scouting team. I believe they ranked Owen Beck like top 18 or something along those lines. Like, they were very high on him. Uh, but, yeah, o- Owen Beck had an awesome training camp, but sending him down was definitely the right choice. Uh, he still has not put up a point a game in the OHL, so I think that sending him down is the wise choice. Let him marinate. There's no reason to rush him. It's not like the Habs need a, a good centerman right now uh, to compete because, uh, well, it's the Habs, and uh, we-, we covered uh, just how good we think this team is. Uh, extensively, but and that's just yeah, a little extra, the little extra player in Laval to build the offense around, or a young guy who with offensive potential who they can kind of make the main go-to guy on offense would be a really interesting thing to have. I think for the seasons going forward, and something the Habs haven't had in a very long time. You'd have to look back to the days of Corey Locke and Duncan Milroy with the Hamilton Bulldogs, kind of point to the line if they had players who were that skilled. I think Philip Machar is definitely. In that in that category, like Absolutely. I think that like, Machar's actual skill is is more impressive than Owen Beck's. Uh, Beck had the stronger camp because he's more refined, and that surprised no one that was familiar with Owen Beck because that was his entire game last season. Last season in the OHL, he was playing a very pro ready game at the junior level. Uh, but yeah, Philip Machar is incredibly skilled, and I think I am most curious to see just how well uh, two players do in Laval, and that is Xavier Simonou and Matthias Norlander, for very different reasons. Uh, For one of them, it's because uh, this kind of seems like the last opportunity to make it in this organization with Matthias Norlander. 
but he will get the opportunity to uh, throw trainer like, at rookie camp. He was being played a lot. He got a lot of minutes. Uh, he got a lot, lot of looks, and the skill is obvious. Uh, it's just the confidence. If he can regain that confidence, uh, that is a very interesting project right there. If he does not regain it, uh, I don't know if he's anything more than a bottom four AHL guy at his peak because he needs confidence to be effective. Uh, without it, he completely disintegrates. He doesn't have structure in his game without that confidence because it, that confidence is his game. Uh, and on the other hand, Xavier Simonou, uh, who looked amazing throughout training camp and his intelligence and playmaking ability really shown. And I think that a full season in Laval, like you're going to see him get minutes in the top six totally. this season with Laval. Which, I think the Rockets uh, are going to have themselves in their RHP, to be honest. On their, you know, uh, and I think I, I think RHP and uh, Simonu together on the line would be tremendous. Oh uh, very similar yeah. in terms of being drafted as seventh round double overagers and uh, being very hardworking players. And Joshua Watt commanded the fold in a couple of years. Who knows? You have a yeah. Him, Wah, and Bernard, and then you just have fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think if we're if we're talking about that mold of uh, of of player, I'd be curious to see if the Habs draft Justin Quinte next season, uh, who we went undrafted this year, uh, and who was kind of uh, like like Xavier like, Simonou was his mentor in Drummondville before he got traded to uh, yeah Pat. Yeah, I was just saying. On that note, it's 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 uh, we're in October. The NHL season just started on Friday, and we're already talking about next year's draft. Let's hold our horses Matt, just one Matt, second. You are talking to a scout. Of course, I'm focused on the draft. This should be the least surprising thing of the entire episode. Come on, buddy. You know me. You know me. <laughs> yeah, I know. Last talks about I, Owen Beck. I, I talk about uh, Anthony Beauregard. We got that young thing. <laughs> You know, <laughs> everyone's got their expertise going on tonight. Oh, Beautiful. that we do, but unfor- as per usual. But, but unfortunately, on that very rude note, I'm very sorry to cut you off, Sebastian. We are so out funny. of time. We do. <laughs> like I mentioned, the NHL season has started on Friday with back-to-back games between Nashville and San Jose at the O2 Arena in London. Speaking of experiments, uh, so Nash- Nashville went 2-0 and and has been dominating the league. How about that? <laughs> Canadians, of course, going against the Maple Leafs. Um, guys, to finish the show, all right, let's predict the score. Who's going to win it? Sebastian. Oh, you're putting me on the spot here first. Thank, thank you, first of all, for cutting me off. Uh, cutting off the host, that's quite uh, quite the thing to do, Pat. <laughs> Co-host, I know. I know. Um, <laughs> prediction. Um, you know what? The Habs are a god-awful team, but I think that Toronto is even worse against Montreal than Montreal is against God Toronto. Give you a score, bud. <laughs> I'm going to say shootout uh, 5-4 Montreal. Oh, nice. Aaron. Okay, so without franchise player Nick Robertson <laughs> dressed, I predict that the Habs are going to squeak out a win because Matt Murray will finally get his first taste of the AHL ty- type of team since he played in Belleville last year. <laughs> and he a beautiful 3-2 defeat in overtime. Oh, nice. Uh, Scott. I say Matt Murray gets hurt pretty early and the Habs squeak out a win for in a shootout. Nice. And Joshy? I mean, I was going to say 
for in overtime, but now I can't say that anymore. So let's go. Uh, just uh, say Montreal dominates. Um, Gallagher, Zadanov, and Vorak shut down Matthews, and Montreal wins five one. Nice. Um, you know what? I'm 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 going to go all out and saying that we're going to get the, the shock of the year, probably the only shock of the year, and we're going to get our first win. <laughs> Finally, after going winless in the in the preseason, Jake Allen gets a shutout for nothing. I don't believe it. We all know how bad this team is, and we all predicted the Habs to win against the Leafs in the regular. You gotta root for the underdog, Sam. You gotta root for the underdog. Come on, because we cannot accept a loss against the Leafs. <laughs> that too. It was any other team. Oh, any other team. I will lose every single game of the season. Except against Toronto, I, I, you know if, if that happens, I'm, I'm, I'm on board. totally cool with Delirious. it. I'd be on board. <laughs> on that bombshell. <laughs> on that bombshell, <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much, Sebastian. You're a great co-host, man. Thank you. <laughs> You're awesome. And <laughs> once again, thanks to Aaron, Josh, and Scott. You guys obviously always a blast. Thank you so much for your time. And um, tune in for, ne- for next time on another episode of Puck and Roll. Peace. Degenerate into something fool. We just got tired of doing what you told us to do. That's a brace, boy. Redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.